0: So tonight's going to look a little bit different in that we've not got one preacher. We've got three, okay? Uh, We've got uh, uh, Tim, uh, Charlie, and Karen who are going to come up. Um, and share uh, things that God has been teaching and and kind of laying on their heart as they've been spending this past year and a bit uh, at King's School of Theology, KST. They've been kind of spending some time uh, over this year going away, studying, writing essays and doing all sorts of wonderful things Um, and God's been laying stuff on their heart and they're kind of going to be sharing and bringing some of that uh, to us tonight. Um, So we've got Tim up first. Um so, uh, so let's tell you what, let's pray for all these guys. We'll do it in one, all right? Boom, bum, boom, bum, all right? So we don't have to do it every again. <laughs> but Father, we thank you for Tim. I thank you for Charlie. Lord, I thank you for Karen. Lord, I thank you for who they are. Lord, I thank you that they're here with us, Lord, that they're in this, in this church as part of this fellowship. Lord, we thank you for the things that you've been sharing, the things that you've been speaking to them, Lord, that you've been taking them deeper uh, with you and your word. And we thank you for that, Lord. God, And we just pray for each and every one of them, Lord, that you would use them. To, to speak of your goodness and of, of who you are, Lord, to us tonight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Great. Uh, thanks, Chris. Uh, yeah, as, as uh, Chris said, um, the three of us are part of um, King's School of Theology, uh, which is a three-year uh, sort of program where we go off to either Oxford, which is very nice, or Derby, which is less nice, um, <laughs> five, five times a year. Um, and to, to yeah, study theology. Now, I'm guessing there's some some different thoughts that will spring to mind uh, throughout this room as as uh, as we sort of say study theology. Um, if I was in the congregation just a few years ago and somebody came up and said, "Right, I'm going to feed feedback on what I've been learning at a theology course," there would be quite a bit of scepticism. Now, I'm quite a cynical person, as some people who know me quite well (laughs) will testify. Um, But, you know, you think, is that just the Christian equivalent of a bit of a show-off or a bit of a know-it-all or something like that? Um, I'm not an academic. Um, I was very pleased to see the end of my education when I hit 18. Um, I thought, great, I can get into the real world. Um, I can do some stuff. Um, I can't be, be doing with essays and exams and things like that. I, I was so pleased when I, when I didn't have to do any of that anymore. That's not everyone's story. Some people love that stuff, and we'll pray for you at the end. Um, so why, why do it in the first place? Why, why would you do it? Um, why, as someone who works full-time, is involved in church and all the other kind of stuff that, that, I, that all of us are involved in, family stuff and goodness knows what not, why would you um, take significant amounts of time to go away, study, write essays, um, shed tears, get really angry, um, and all of that kind of stuff? There's, and At the start, when I started out on this, um, 18 months ago or so, um, I would have said there was, you know, a good few reasons for it. Um, I think I used the phrase stocking up the larder um, or being equipped. Um, the fact is, you know, I'm involved in stuff here at Beck, I'll, um, and I want to be able to serve from as, as deep a resource as possible. Um, and, you know, the opportunity came up that I could... I had a bit more free time than than I did previously, so I thought, okay... Yep, I'm going to go and get tooled up, as it were. Um, And I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, And uh, in Colossians, I just want to look at the Bible. Um, Colossians chapter 4, Paul is writing from prison. Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6 say this. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And I remember reading that um, and thinking, okay, that sounds really good, because what it's saying uh, is, um, you know, live wisely, but get involved, uh, you don't just have to live in a bubble, you know, over here somewhere. You know, get involved. Um, be involved in, uh, in the world. Be involved in culture. Be involved in the workplace. Be involved uh, in the things around us. Um, but live wisely, seasoned with salt. Um, you know, it kind of sounds like there needs to be a bit of work uh, put into this. Um, we will, you know, get asked questions in the various scenarios that we're in, um, about our points of view, how we live our lives, what we think on certain things. And um, our response to those things, I've always kind of, well, not always, but I've come to think, uh, is fairly critical. I've told the story before, but I'll tell it again. Um, When I was at school, someone... Uh, turned to me in a lesson and went, um, oh, Tim, you're a Christian, aren't you? And before I could answer that question, uh, someone else turned around and went, Tim is the least Christian person I know. And I thought, oh, dear me, what have I done there? Um, so sort of from that point on, it's kind of stuck with me. I mean, we're talking 15 years ago. Um, that has kind of stuck with me. And, and ever since, I've kind of realised in quite a dramatic, brutal way that what I say and what, how I act and what I think is important. Wrestling with um, tough questions, as it says in that passage, be prepared for um, answering people. Um, be full of grace. So that doesn't necessarily mean tear people down. But it kind of sounds like there's something that needs to be done. So I kind of thought, right, okay, I need to become wise. So I didn't really think that, but you know what I mean. And so I'll go off and I'll just, I'll get all the answers. They'll tell me all the stuff I need to know. I'll be equipped. Um, My experience has been, really, that the problem with that sort of line of thought, just that line of thought, for me, and I can only speak for me, uh, is that it becomes a bit of a hoop jumping exercise. Um, You know, I've got to do this, tick this box, get that done, and then something else will happen. And... I don't need to tell most of you that being a Christian, following Jesus, being his disciple, is not a hoop-jumping exercise. Studying God, essentially theology, isn't a hoop-jumping exercise, isn't a tick-box answer uh, that we can just do and say we've done it and now move on. What I have become, a, what the, the biggest thing for me over the last eighteen months is becoming aware of just how much I don't know about God. Having grown up in the church, you can kind of get a little bit cocky about some of this stuff. Well, you know, I've I've seen some stuff. I've been to all the been to all the events. I've grown up in the youth. I've had some great teaching. I've been part of a great church. Um, and you think what could i you know i think i'm doing all right i think i'm doing all right and suddenly your your mind is opened up into just a whole new realm of who god is what his purposes are how he uh, wants the world to be his purposes not just for me but for the church for the world and it becomes less about hoop jumping exercises And more about foundations being rebuilt. The stuff that I build my life on being rebuilt, stronger. And if you like, that's a very different way of being equipped. Another quick Bible passage to just look at. 1 Corinthians 8, uh, 1 to 3. Says this: We all uh, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up, whilst love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. I think if you put these two passages together, if you kind of look at them together, one sort of saying, "Do some work," and another one saying, Whoever loves God is known by God. It deals with our heart, not just our head. I'm—I've um, got a background in engineering, and I work in IT, which basically um, means I'm one of those really annoying people uh, that tells you to turn things off and on again. Um, yes, they do exist, um, and we don't—we don't just live in the dungeons. Um, We do get to see daylight occasionally. Um, But in those kind of fields, uh, things are either right or wrong. They work or they don't. Problems are solved or they're not. Studying God, studying theology, has really driven home the fact that I'm not going to have the answer to everything. There might not be, in some cases, there might not be one answer. Obviously, some things are unnegotiable. I'm not going to argue with that. But some things aren't yes or no, or as simple as that. And that's okay, however annoying that may be, for someone who kind of likes to know if it's going to work or not. Jesus is still on the throne, despite... Whatever I may not know, despite what people may throw at me, despite whatever I may not feel equipped to uh, answer or to come back against, Jesus is still on the throne. Studying theology is about coming to know him more. And whether we do that through um, an officially graded course, whether we do the sort of thing that Charlie, Karen, uh, and I, and others have done, or whether we do it kind of just of ourselves. It's not about just having knowledge. It's about knowing him. Yes, there's a huge amount of being equipped. Yes, there's a huge amount of filling up the larder. Yes, there's so much more that I can serve from and will uh, continue to be as I go into the next year as, as we complete the course. But that's not... The number one priority. If I can't say that I know more of him, then I've kind of missed the point. And on that note, I'm going to hand over to Charlie. Give Charlie a massive round of applause.
2: Thank you, Tim. Bear with me. It there. So, um, as Tim said, my name is Charlie, and ah, oh, I'm so excited to uh, share with you this evening, um, and it's a real honour, actually, to share a little bit about the journey that God has taken me on. Not just in the past year, but through probably over like the last 10 years of my life. Don't worry, I'm not going to go into that much detail. Um, but, um, do you know? I'm I'm just going to start with the Bible. That's exactly where I'm going to start because that's a really good place to start. Um, So, if you would like to turn uh, to Luke chapter 5, whilst you find your places, I'm going to give you uh, just a little bit of context quickly. So, uh, we find ourselves here right at the beginning. Of Jesus' ministry. He has just uh, come out of the desert. He has defeated the devil. He has been filled with the power of the Spirit, and he is literally going around uh, teaching, and people are being drawn to him. He finds himself in synagogues, and heads are being turned, and he's starting to get people's backs up slightly. We see a little bit of that, and it's almost as though Jesus says, I'm not going to do this on my own. I don't want to do this on my own. And he begins to call the first of his disciples. So one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gethsemane, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will. I'm going to repeat that. But because you say so, I will. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. And this is probably um, a story that we have all heard time and time again. Um, But do you know what? I've recently understood this in a bit of a different light. And those words, because you say so, because you say so i will so let's put ourselves back in that position uh, sort of like imagining ourselves at the at the shore and simon this fisherman has been fishing all night and he is absolutely exhausted probably completely defeated as well because he hasn't caught a single thing he's failed You know, his role is to be a fisherman, and if you are a fisherman, you have got to catch fish. And he hasn't done that, he's failed. And then Jesus comes along and he commands him to drop his nets again. Now, in Simon's mind, he's probably thinking, What are you on about? It's the wrong time to be catching fish. Now is not the time to be catching fish, God. This isn't the way we do this. This isn't how it works. It went against everything in him as a fisherman. But at your word, I will. That was his response. A response of obedience and a response of trust. Now, what would I have done? What would I have done in that situation? Um... And I'd like to think, if God, if Jesus, was in front of me asking me to do something, I'd like to think I'd do it. You know, even if it was the balmiest, craziest idea, I would like to believe that I would obey Jesus and do it. Would you? Do you think? Maybe? Hopefully? Depending on what he was asking. No, 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 no. Seriously, I would want to obey him, despite my, my mind or my common sense. And you see, sometimes I think we brush over that Jesus, Jesus, is God. And this has been one of my huge learning points, like one of my huge things that I've really grappled with this year is Jesus is God that's crazy. Like, you know, the God who created the world came in flesh so he could be in a relationship with us. We can't separate God in Jesus in this. If, if Jesus is commanding us to do something, that, that's God commanding us to do something. And we've just been singing about how we magnify God. And my again like literally this year has blown my mind in terms of learning about god um and just trying to recognize the absolute awe and wonder of god like you know i'm a mom and i've had two children and when you think of the complexity of pregnancy and childbirth like that that is that's so incredible like On the other end of the scale, when you look at like the journey of caterpillars to butterfly, it's so awesome. It is amazing. And it's so easy to get caught up in the mundane and the everyday and forget that God is so awesome and he is living around us. You see, I don't understand the awesomeness of God. If I thought I understood the awesomeness of God. I have not grasped the awesomeness of God because he is so huge and so awesome, you know. But actually, what I need to do is I need to recognize that and then submit to that in complete reverence, which has been uh, this huge perspective shift in my approach, which I would love to share with you. Now, rewind about 15 years ago. And I was still loud and a bit cocky and a bit confident. But the truth is, I was a really, really broken person. Like, I battled with serious insecurities, uh, you know, and had some really awful situations. As I'm sure all of us have had, really rubbish situations happen to us. That have warped the way we look at the world, or have warped the way that we look at ourselves, or have warped the way that we look at others. And I was so damaged, it literally affected almost every aspect. And because of what I was seeing, and because of what I believed about myself, I, I lived with lies. Literally, I lived with lies. I would worry about being, you know, I'd think I was a rubbish mom and that I was going to be an even worse mother. You know, when I went back to work after having uh, my children, living with the guilt, you know, of of having to make that decision and make those choices. As a woman, I would be so insecure about, you know, the way I looked. and, And these were lies that I lived with constantly and they sort of manifested themselves in like anxiety or panic attacks or worries and and at one stage of my lowest depression and you know over the past couple of years I have gone on this journey where I've just gone I'm a nut I like, have enough I'm exhausted of living with these lies I'm I'm so tired of believing these lies and Where do I go from here? And the thing that has always been consistent is that what God has said about me has never changed. And what God has called me to and who God is has never changed. So as I've been coming back to these promises, I've then had a choice. Just like Simon did when... Jesus commanded him to do something, even though it went against everything in his mind. He said, because you say so, I will. Even though I feel so rubbish in myself at the moment, I'm still going to believe that what you say about me is true. Even though it hurts, so much to even begin to think about forgiving that person who's damaged me and broke me. I'm going to trust that you're going to give me that strength. Even though I can't see how we're going to pay that bill, I'm going to trust that you provide. And even though I'm so disgusted with myself that I did that or I thought that, I'm going to trust that you forgive. You see, when we recognize the awesomeness and the sovereignty of God, and how we sit under that, and how how he is good, and how he loves us, actually, all those questions begin to evaporate. All those questions like, oh, you know, oh, what if I don't get that grade? What's going to happen? Oh, what if my daughter doesn't end up getting into that school? Oh, what's going to happen? Oh, what's going to happen if, you know, X, Y, and Z you know, all of those questions just begin to fizzle out because we come back to the fact that God is always good and God loves us, full stop. Now, don't get me wrong. It has been such a challenge to get to this point, and I'm not saying that I am by any means. But God has really clearly spoken to me about two things, obedience and discipline. (laughs) I'm not the most obedient person in the world. I like to do my own thing. Um, And part of this journey has been about recognizing, do you know, I used to think that being an obedient Christian was reading my Bible every single day, attending all the meetings, doing everything, tick, 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 which all those things are very, very good. I'm I'm not negating that. But actually what God has shown me is that obedience is about the state of my heart and about whether I'm willing to submit to him and whether I'm willing to come back to those promises. You see, this is my husband's book, and as you can see, it's a bit battered, and he's had it for years, and it's a book of God's promises, you know, and there are so many practical things out there that we could go to and say, do you know what? If we're so fed up of living with these lies, it's gonna take obedience, and it's gonna take time, and it's gonna take coming back to these truths every single time, capturing those thoughts, And soon, the lies that we live with, that have just become second nature, fizzle out and we start to live in the truth of what God has said about us. And the beauty of all of this, I love how God works. It is not just about us as individuals. Right at the end, it talks about if we believe and we trust those blessings are going to be so much greater. We see that the catch is overflowing, overflowing. It's the wrong time of day. That shouldn't have happened. But Jesus says, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to bless you. And I'm not just going to bless you a little bit. I'm going to bless you tenfold. But the incredible thing is that blessing doesn't just start with Peter. Peter, uh, sorry, with Simon, Simon calls others and people are called to help. So actually that blessing doesn't just bless him, it blesses others. And we've got to believe it's almost like God goes one step further and says, I'm not just going to bless you in your little nuclear little sphere here. Actually, you're called to go and bless others and, and testify of what I have done. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come back, and they both filled their boats. And then what did they do? They went and they fished men. Didn't actually go out and fish men. No, no, no. They they caught people's hearts for Jesus because of their testament. And I'm sure there are plenty of times where they struggled, and I struggle, and we all struggle. But I think there is... there's there, There is change, there is blessing when we shift our perspective under God's authority. And then we go, Do you know what? Even though it doesn't make sense, even though I don't feel like it, I'm still going to believe. God is always loving, God is always good, and He is always with us. And He can do more through us than we could ever begin to think or imagine. And when we just set ourselves with that perspective, everything else fizzles out.
3: Hi everybody, Um, as you know my name's Karen, I've been part of the Beck family here for almost nine years. Um, God's been challenging me recently about some of my perspectives and attitudes towards other people um, and I'd love to share some of those thoughts with you this evening. Before um, Before I share about some of my challenges, I'd like to challenge you with a question are you ready um this is just between you and god i don't want anyone shouting out their answers how's your love life how how's it going maybe i should reframe that question apologies if that's made you feel uncomfortable i'm not actually talking about romance but about life your life of love how well are you loving How well are you loving Jesus and living in obedience to his commands? How well are you loving others? What social boundaries are you crossing to meet and find those in need? Are you forgiving those who offend you? How well are you loving yourself? We've heard a bit from Charlie about that. Living in the identity of a fully known fully accepted and fully loved child of God so firstly how well are you loving yourself knowing God's abounding love for us is key to living a life of love when we choose to be rooted and established I'm thinking about my tomato plants at the minute They're in a pot of good soil, so they are rooted and established. But when we choose to be rooted and established in love, choosing God's love to be our sustenance, this is the starting point to loving others and the springboard to loving Jesus. And secondly, how well are you loving others? This is a tricky one, quite a lot of the time. (laughs) In Paul's letter to the Galatian church... He writes, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's Galatians 5, verse 6. One writer suggests that if you want to monitor how faith-filled you are, take a look at how much you love others. I'll just read that verse again. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. One thing that I was challenged with recently was how I respond to the guys doing door-to-door sales. I don't know if you get folks coming around your way in rugby. Guys, the ones who have come to my house anyway, guys who look like they're struggling a bit to make ends meet. Who've got a bit of a story to pull on your heartstrings and present a sports bag on the doorstep. Filled with mopeds, doilies and dusters. That wasn't a previous job of mine, just want to point out. Um, I like to think, you know, that I've got a genuine value of people. We should treat people with respect, whoever they are, and be honest with our dealings with them. So when I get a knock at the door, I open it up and there's a rough looking guy with a sports bag. So I smile and I nod like that. And I listen and I give eye contact. And I say with a compassionate voice, I'm sorry, but I don't need any of your stuff. The guy keeps chatting and then begging. Can't you just buy something to help my sales, even if you don't need it? But I stick with my respectful and honest response, which remains, I just don't need anything, sorry. So the guy zips up the sports bag. Leaves through the gate, looking pretty miffed and offended, to put it lightly. And the thing is, as I continued on through my day, I felt more and more agitated. And actually, even a few days later, because I can still remember sitting in the car, talking to my husband, going, oh, "I just wasn't right, David. <laughs> I had various accents in life. Anyway, um, so yeah, I just felt more and more agitated by my responses on the doorstep. And actually, a bit kind of confused as I could have, you know, as to how I could have handled it better. I guess what was bothering me was that my honest response wasn't what Jesus would have said. I want to help people in need. I was a nurse for 10 years um, before growing my family, and I think people are amazing. But I also don't want to be manipulated and taken for a ride. You know, that feeling of being had. But after a lot of thought, I realised that this was an affliction of personal pride. Instead of an expression of love. So guess what? God gave me another go. (laughs) Having not seen anyone for about three years, five days later. I had another salesman at the door, looking a bit rough around the edges. Uh, When he got his sales bag out, I asked, what do you need from me today? He was a bit taken aback by that question and a bit unsure as to how to answer, but then he found his tongue and he listed off all the items for sale. So I said, okay, what can I get for a fiver? And then... My eldest saw a shiny torch and asked if she could buy that too. So he left our doorstep with a polite, oh, thank you, uh, and a chunk of gifted cake wrapped in foil. Quite That will always happen if you come to my house, by the way. Um, Quite a different experience. A loving response will always respect. But respect will not always show love. In our spiritual walk... Pride works in opposition to humility. And humility is what we need to live in obedience to Jesus' commands. And living in obedience to Jesus shows our love for God. In the experience that I just shared, my pride activated a kind of a self-preservation mode, motivated by my desire to not be taken advantage of, But in so doing, I lost my humility and value for others, leaving an air of disappointment rather than one of love. In Philippians 2, verse 3, Paul writes, In humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. When we examine the life of Jesus, we see that he was a servant to all. He had no issue in being made a fool of because he had already fully humbled and lowered himself. Jesus submitted his royal throne. That's part of this awesomeness that I think Charlie's been talking about. I cannot fathom that. But he submitted his royal throne in heaven to dwell in in flesh and serve that which he had made he walked in complete humility and he did this to show his abounding love for us to make a way for us even in the midst of our rebellion against God a way for us to be restored into relationship with our heavenly father in one john one john four and five in those chapters it says this is love Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. We overcome the world because we have Jesus' help, empowering us by his Holy Spirit when we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Which brings me to the third expression of love. How well are we loving Jesus? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands, in John 14, verse 15. These commands aren't just a list of rules to keep us out of trouble. They demonstrate the very nature of God's kingdom. An example of this is Matthew 22, verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And love your neighbour, including those you despise, that's my added bit, as yourself. As we choose to love Jesus and obey his commands, God himself is our helper by the work of his spirit in us. And his spirit of truth guides us into all truth so that we can discern the will of God. Again, in Matthew chapter 21, 28, Jesus tells a parable of two sons. He says to the Pharisees, What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today no I will not he answered but later he changed his mind and went then the father went to the older brother and said the same thing he answered i will sir but he did not go which of the two did what his father wanted the first they answered jesus said to them truly i tell you the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of god ahead of you. For John came to you to show the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. When I read the parable of the two sons last week with my friend Dawn, I was struck by the shocking contrast of the greedy money makers and sex workers against the pride-filled religious leaders of the day. Jesus' statement that the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you was an outrageous statement to those trying to uphold the laws of God who lived in hostility to those who lived in disgrace. It got me wondering... (laughs) it got me wondering about my attitudes and judgments of others in society. Am I afflicted with Christian pride that becomes an obstacle to loving others? Am I choosing to love others no matter who they are and no matter what social boundaries they appear to exist beyond? If we truly love Jesus, then we need to allow his spirit to fill us and his compassion to change us so that others might know his love too. So let us end this evening with the original slightly uncomfortable question. How's your love life? How is God challenging you to live a life of love? My appeal to you comes in the words of Jesus. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, again I'm going to add in here, patiently, with humility, as a servant, without rights, in submission to God, so you must love one another. Amen.